The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Support for Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast comes from Remax Commercial. The Remax Commercial Global Network can help you adapt to changing markets, evolve with new technology, and maximize your investments across all property types. Go commercial with confidence. For more information, visit www.remaxcommercial.com. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor of the magazine. In this episode, I spoke with Mark Pallone, the president of Pallone Consulting and an instructor with the CSAM Institute since 1989. He joins us to discuss how professionals can best prepare themselves for success in commercial real estate and how effective communication is an essential tool in this business. An expert in appraisals and valuations, Pallone also details what the CR industry can expect as we continue to recover from the harshest impacts of COVID-19. Mark, first of all, thanks for joining us and welcome to Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Nick. So you're the instructor of Introduction to Commercial Real Estate, a brand new course with the CSAM Institute. For anyone interested in the industry as a whole, you know, what can this course offer them and what benefits are available to folks who may even be a little more experienced in commercial real estate? So a couple of things. This course, this new one, is based on our two-day foundations for success in commercial real estate. This particular one was written with the idea that there are a lot of people who are seriously thinking about taking on commercial real estate as an occupation, people who are, you know, playing a little bit in both residential and commercial and not quite ready to commit, you know, two full days of their time to this adventure. And so Uh, This course was designed to give an overview of the uh, commercial real estate industry in two one-and-a-half-hour segments, making it easily accessible to pretty much everyone. So this is the way to kind of to take that first step, kind of a low bar, uh, less investment, get get to know the the fundamentals of, of the industry. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's uh, unlike most every other commercial real estate course that we at the Institute teach, it is not calculator based. And so it looks really pragmatically at the kinds of concepts and kinds of skills and kinds of activities that a person who is successful in commercial real estate will be doing. And you mentioned, you know, folks who may be involved in residential looking to, to maybe, you know, dip a toe into commercial. For those folks, what, what might be most interesting or most surprising about kind of beginning that journey into commercial real estate? I think the, the key issue will be their... Uh, understanding that there are a few really basic similarities between residential and commercial real estate, but that within the commercial real estate world, things then break down into smaller components having to do with the cash flows that are created through the investment in commercial real estate versus uh, amenity types of real estate. Commercial real estate being as varied as it is with sectors ranging from, you know, industrial to, to self-storage to retail. You have a long history in, in valuations and appraisals. Can you kind of give us a, a state of valuations as a whole right now as we are leaving the, the COVID pandemic in the rearview mirror? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, I guess the first thing I could say is I'm really glad I don't do appraisal as my sole source of income anymore because it has become substantially more difficult to create really viable valuations for people today because the uh, the marketplace is still in such a state of flux. And so if you are trying to create a value based on, you know, comparables, you know, historical data, well, that's pretty much useless. And uh, otherwise, you need to then look either at the current marketplace or you have to do some, um, you know, looking into the future. The only piece of that that is really dependable, in my opinion right now, is the current marketplace, the bid-ask market. As soon as you start looking into the future, you're faced with uh, all kinds of additional obstacles to getting the, getting the right number by deciding what the property can do, how it will perform over the near future. Can you outline maybe one or two obstacles that you're seeing you know, pop up or being especially problematic when you're looking out into the future? One of the things I'm seeing a lot of right now is the movement away from major markets in all property types to secondary and tertiary markets. And so if you start looking at what happened in 2022 and what's happening in 2023, is you're seeing that office, industrial, retail, multifamily, all of those categories are outperforming in the uh, suburban markets than they are in the downtown markets. That is very disturbing for those people who have, you know, really concentrated their, uh, uh, you know, their work ethics to following trends by following major markets where most of the data is easily accessible. Uh, and so now it, it tends to uh, diminish the value of the data because you're now pulling it from, um, you know, less than $3 million properties and smaller uh, tenant bases. Uh, and that information is a lot less reliable today than it would be if you were tracking, you know, major market uh, re-owned office buildings. Having kind of a such a, a cataclysmic event as, you know, a global pandemic like we've faced, the job of, you know, being a, a qualified trusted appraisal might be harder, but I think it's more valuable, if that makes sense. Oh, Absolutely. You really have to today, unlike pre-pandemic, um, pre-pandemic, it would have been good to really concentrate on the, uh, the marketplace and the asset type that you were in physically at the time. Um, but you could offset that with trends. And today, you really can't do that. You really have to focus entirely on you know, where the asset is located and what's going on in its specific marketplace, which will vary for every kind of property type. But you're, you're really now limiting the scope of your vision to a much, much smaller time frame, much, much smaller area. Obviously, the, the worst of the pandemic kind of um, abated. Was it a matter of people realizing that, there, that it was not going to be a return to pre-COVID and things were permanently changed? Or, you know, was there, was there a lasting hope that we could return to, you know, business as usual in 2018 or 2019? Yeah, I think that um, for the most part, people realize that they can't go back. That there were some very, very um, 
definitive changes, you know, kind of sea uh, changes. And, and, you know, it's funny, I've been playing around with uh, chat GPT and BARD, you know, these, um, you know, and so I asked uh, the other day, what trends should I expect to see in 2023? And uh, my chat bot suggested a couple of interesting things, you know, and, and let me just rattle off a few of them and talk you, because know, these are all impacts from the pandemic. Growth of e-commerce, and that is going to impact industrial and distribution uh, dramatically, uh, as well as start to reconfigure the use of, of retail space. And as I said before, retail space is actually doing better in secondary and tertiary markets than it is in the primary markets. Flexible workspace, uh, you know, the lesson that we learned that you don't have to go to the office to be productive, uh, the lessons that we've learned and we're starting to see all this new information about, you know, what's the use of having meetings anyway. All of that is a uh, is pandemic-based changes. Obviously, the technology that we had to develop during the pandemic to enable us to keep working has, you know, increased dramatically. And, um, you know, mixed use development, how do I, you know, if I'm in a secondary or tertiary market, how do I deal with that office building that used to be 90% leased and now it's, you know, it's at 50? What do I do with the rest of that space? So all of these issues have suddenly popped up. And, and I think just about every one of us that's in the business is thinking about, you know, adaptive use and, and you know, what, who would want this now? You know, that's the question that keeps coming up. Yeah, it seems, you know, in such an especially dynamic situation like we're in now, it seems like creativity is is of an, more importance than it, than it ever has been, which, you know, is obviously people in the industry are, are, are best when they're creative and can see solutions, but uh, but now it seems to be a premium. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it, there's a lot more, you know, uh, on the drawing board stuff today, I think, than there ever was before. I was an office guy, and I can't just sit back and say, okay, so office trends are this, and, you know, the, the prevailing cap rates for, you know, for suburban office is this, because I really have to say, okay, so I live in the Hartford area, and I have to look at, you know, the Hartford CBD, and I have to look at the surrounding neighborhoods and make my determinations based on what's going on in those specific markets. And thank goodness that we today have the the technology that will allow me to dig into those markets uh, in a much better way than I used to be able to. But, you know, what's going on in Boston and New York or Chicago or Los Angeles has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on in my marketplace. Yeah. And you mentioned, obviously, technology is growing in complexity and, and also the just the, the wide variety of applications that's available. How important is it to be on that cutting edge and be getting the best data you can in such a, a difficult market? invaluable. I mean, it's, you know, anybody, anybody who's trying to do it the way they used to do it are not going to have a particularly good uh, decade. As far as kind of, you know, using technology to do the best ends, you know, is there an application or, or technology out there that you can point to as, as especially promising in the near future? Well, yeah, I mean, being a CCIM and all, of course, site to do business is my go-to site for, uh, um, you know, for any of that trending and demographic and psychographic and, and other kinds of information, um, you know, put together by Esri. And it is, uh, it is spectacularly good to be able to access that information and access it quickly and um, access pretty updated data most of the time. So, you know, it's that. And then, you know, it's funny because along with that technology, 
I also have to call my economic development people and confirm that the numbers I'm getting from any website and, and any technology out there really are the same as the ones my economic development people are getting. Yeah, it seems there is so much data out there that it's a matter of, you know, not only getting the right data, but being able to package it in the right way to, to deliver to clients to, to show them what you're seeing. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, that is, uh, if you can't do that, you can't get people to do anything. Yeah, because the numbers only make sense if they're accessible and able to be digested. Gosh, my 40 years in the business, the one thing I learned that was probably the most important thing was that um, the numbers don't speak for themselves. If I can't communicate the meaning of those numbers to my customers and clients, nothing happens. And then I don't make any money. You also are instructor for the for the communication skills course with CSAM Institute. Can you kind of cover just two or three you know, basic skills that, that might be overlooked by people who are, are in industry for a couple of years? Yeah, you know, it's, um, yeah, that's one of the, I, I wrote a couple of soft skills uh, courses for the Word Center and um, <clears throat> communication skills, which is, you know, most people see the title and they go, no, you know, I don't know how to do that. And for me, it's always been the, truly the most important aspect of, of what I do. And, and so, yeah, so, so what are some of the, the, the most important things in there? Um, I guess the first probably and most important one in communication skills is learning how to listen. Um, you know, it, it seems almost contradictory to, you know, communication skills, but asking questions uh, is a skill that uh, has so many benefits at so many levels. I mean, obviously it has the benefit of of um, enabling you to understand what is driving, you know, your customer or client. Um, but it also opens, opens up a whole, a whole realm of psychological constructs where they, people really like people who let them talk. And so what, you know, what I found historically with, you know, with, with brokers and salespeople is that they get in the door and they just start talking. Uh, thinking that what they really have to do is sell themselves and their company. And what I learned over the years is that's it's just the opposite of that. I have to go in and I have to ask a lot of questions. I have to listen to what the other person is saying they need. And then I have to conform to their needs if I want to absorb them, uh, you know, as a customer or a client. So I think listening is probably far and away the most important thing. And maybe the second is making sure that they heard what I said, because, you know, the, the, the saying goes that what you say is never what they hear. And so double checking and going back and, and you know, clarifying and, 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 you know, hashing things out a second time. Some people think that that's too time consuming, but I got to tell you, I have saved more time and made more money because I've taken the time to go back and confirm that I heard what my client said. Yeah, it's, you know, mentioning kind of the uh, the ability to listen, it's a bit contradictory where, you know, being a professional, you want to show expertise, you want to show what value you can, you can provide your clients, but at the same time, you know, you might have to take a step back and, you know, let them kind of have equal footing in a relationship. Actually, more than, in my opinion, you know, my job is to help my customers and clients become successful. For most of them, as I was in the investment side of the business, but most of that had to do with helping them find product that they would be happy with over a period of time. 
pushing them toward a product never, ever, ever worked. It was always about listening and trying to really figure out what is it exactly that this person really wants and can I find something that will fill that need for them. It's seemingly very simple. And yet we all get really confused because, you know, we want to... Uh, we want to get that sale done. We want to get that tenant in. We want to get all this stuff done. And we forget that, or I have forgotten many times, that I need to take a breath and make sure that we're going down the road that my client wants to go down. Not to get too deep into the psychology of the client relationship, but do you see often where talking to a potential client, you know, they may not yet know what they want and, and you might have to kind of see what they eventually will want? Absolutely. You know, there's a broad spectrum, right, of customers and clients out there. I mean, one day you might be working for a REIT and the next day you might be working for your, you know, your doctor. And those two clients have very different objectives. They have very different uh, knowledge bases. They have, uh, you know, they differ in so many ways that even, even with, you know, representing a REIT, uh, even though I know they know what they're doing uh, and they have a lot of prescribed data that they're working with and, and goals that they're trying to achieve, you know, so does my personal client. Um, but I have to recognize that my personal client is, is you know, if, if their piece doesn't work out, it's not like they have a hundred other properties out there that'll make up the difference. Uh, so I'm very cognizant that um, when we get to a juncture, when we get to a decision point, that they're definitely body and, and so am I. Um, you know, the one thing I've learned over and over and over again is chasing the money, pushing clients to do something just because I need a paycheck just never, ever, ever works out in the long run. I think that kind of mentality is, is pretty transparent, whether you, whether you think it is or not. You know, I think that's kind of one of those one of those six senses where, where somebody can pick up on that type of approach. Absolutely. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. As far as, as kind of this, the new age, whether it's zoom calls or, you know, a lot of remote work, a lot of, a lot of technology-based communications, are there new skills that, that you think need to be emphasized, you know, in a post COVID world, as far as, you know, basic communications? I think that we need to be more precise in our, digital communications and, and digital both through, you know, through voice uh, and through texting and through emails. There's a whole new movement out there called digital body language that talks about the vast amount of confusion that uh, emails create. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of discussion out there today on, you know, what's appropriate in a text versus what's appropriate in an email versus what's appropriate in a telephone call. And I think that, at least for me, I am paying tremendous amount of attention to that kind of need for clarity. Because if I'm not with you, Nick, and I can't see you, even if I'm on a Zoom call with you and I think I'm looking at you, I have to be so much more precise if we are not in the same room together because I can't pick up little tells, little tells um, that will help me understand if you're actually still in the conversation or not. 
It is um, enormously confusing. And it's funny because, you know, people come to the communications class and I spend time with this, with that in this class. And most people go, oh, God, I don't want to hear about emails again. Oh, please, please, please. And yet we do so much communication that way that one would think that somewhere down the line, everybody would see the importance of really getting it done well. Just one final question to, to wrap up, you know, is there one skill or one area of communication that you'd recommend for commercial real estate professionals to kind of, to maybe examine themselves and to work on in, in 2023? Yeah, never interrupt. And that's a hard one. The fun thing about that is that the longer you know someone, the longer they've been your client. Um, I know I have this issue with at, at home with my wife. Uh, I know what she's going to say most of the time. And it's really important that I not interrupt her, even though I know where she's going. And, and, and I think that's probably the single most important skill that any of us can learn out there is to wait till the other person is finished talking before we say anything. Well, on that note, I uh, hope I didn't interrupt you too many times in this conversation. We appreciate these insights, and I think communication skills are uh, are obviously an invaluable part of doing business, and I think there are some actionable steps to be taken for, for our listeners, so I appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure, Nick, really. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate.